We're going to be in the book of John this evening. Book of John tonight. And we're going to begin there. And we left off in verse 15. We're going to start tonight. John chapter, uh, John chapter 19 and verse 16. And we left off in verse 15 this morning. And we're going to begin in verse 16 tonight. John chapter 19, verse 16. I had said this morning that the reason why I had uh, went through the message that I did today was because uh, just thinking about uh, just thinking about the love of Christ and uh, the love that God has for us. And as we've been going through the book of First John, it's just been uh, uh, really... Uh, inspirational to me, really. Just, I mean, I know God loves me, and I know He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to die for me. But, uh, and but I guess just kind of looking through it and just seeing it all, and just and just uh, taking it all in, it just really, uh, just really spoke to my heart. And as I was going through John chapter nineteen and looking through all the verses uh, and just thinking about the crucifixion of our Savior, it just uh, just really uh, got me excited as I thought about the love of the Lord. And there in verse 16, we're going to begin there tonight, and we left off verse 15 with the Pharisees and the priests and all them. And there in verse 15, the last thing they said was, was the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so there in verse 15, what we see is, is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is, all that He's done. He was presented uh, to the world. Uh, there in front of everyone, we went over uh, how he was whipped in verse 1. He was mocked in verse 2. Uh, how love was beaten in verse 3, but it was shown as blameless in verse 4. How he was love was humiliated in verse 5, rejected in verse 6, and misunderstood there in verse 7. And then as we move our, our way down, we see that the love was manifested there in verse 14. Uh, and then also as we look in verses 15 to 18, we see that love was sacrificed. We see that the Lord Jesus presented himself to the world and Pilate presented the Lord Jesus. First off, he said, behold the man. And then the next thing he said was, he says, behold your king. And we talked a little bit about that this morning and just showing how we understand that we see Jesus as the king of kings. But we also see him as, uh, as a man. He was... He was fully man, but fully God at the same time. And here we see that uh, Pilate, really, he just made, uh, made that truth known. He says, behold the man, and then behold your king. And so he was presented, the Lord Jesus, after he was scourged and whipped and had the uh, crown of thorns placed on his head and the purple robe placed around his body. And as he was presented there in, in front of the crowd and everybody looked and gazed upon uh, the beating that the Lord Jesus had just took, bleeding out of his face, bleeding out of his back and legs and every part of his body. And we talked about this morning a little bit about what the, the crucifixion is and what happens during that. Now how the meat of the flesh is just ripped off the body and oftentimes most folks never even survived the crucifixion. Never survived, oh, of course, it never survived the, the scourging. And so because they didn't, many folks didn't survive the scourging, what would happen is is they would uh, allow only so much of a beating, but give them a beating right there to death. That was really the whole point. But most, but most of the time, a lot of times, people never made it. 
And of course, they would give the, the they would give the, the standard forty lashes. But the Pharisees and the religious crowd they say, well, we don't want to break the law, so just give thirty nine in case somebody miscounts. And that's what they did. Instead of giving forty, they'd give thirty nine just in case somebody miscounted, so they didn't break the law. You know, and it goes kind of along with what the Lord Jesus said about them. And he says, you know what? They strain at a gnat, but they swallow a camel. They were so, they had truth and they had love staring them right in the face. They could see that the Son of God was right there, but yet they completely rejected it, completely turned away from it. And the Lord Jesus presented there, presented there to them as the ultimate sacrifice, presented to them there as the king there in verse 14. But then when we get to verse 15, as he is presented to them, the Bible shows that the, the priests and the Pharisees and all them, uh, they said, we have no king but Caesar. And of course, Caesar represents the world. And we live in a world today, even a religious system uh, that, uh, that leans toward the world today that says, you know what? Jesus isn't really our king. It's the world that's our king. And we'll invite the world in and the world will be our leader and the world will be our king. And there's lots of folks today that say, you know, well, I'll live my own life. I'll do my own thing. I'll do it my way and completely reject uh, uh, Christ as their king and say, you know what? Who's, who is my king? The world's my, my king, Caesar is my king. And so we see the Lord Jesus. He's standing there in front of everyone. He has been beaten. He has been scourged. He's had the crown of thorns placed on his head and he is there standing in front of everyone and, uh, and Pilate is presenting the Lord Jesus to the people. And there in verse 16, the Bible says, Then delivered he him there unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. And what we do understand is, we, is that we see that from the place where the condemned were taken all the way to Golgotha's hill is about 650 yards. And every one of those crosses that the men were condemned to die on, each cross weighed approximately around 110 pounds. <clears throat> but you imagine your, now you imagine the Lord Jesus, what he's already been through. He's already, they've already come and, tried, and, and taken him by night. He's already stood in a trial all through the evening. He's already been beat. He's now, he's been whipped. He's been scourged. He's bleeding everywhere. He has a crown of thorns on his head. Uh, he is exhausted. He's had nothing to drink since the Last Supper. And he is physically and I'm sure mentally exhausted even with his bout there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whenever he was uh, there sweating great drops of blood. And the Bible shows us that, uh, that uh, great sweats of blood that fell to the ground as he was under intense stress. And so we see the Lord Jesus has already wore out. And now here we see there in verse 17 that he's bearing his cross and he's going to the place called Golgotha. He is on his way up to Calvary's hill. And as I was thinking about all these things and I was thinking about what real love is and true love is as we're going through the book of 1 John, I couldn't help but to think about uh, love, uh, not just how many times that God has told us how much he's loved us through the scriptures, not just how much he's said it verbally to us uh, here in his word, but how the greatest demonstration of his love, I believe we can see it right here. 
And no matter how much it was beaten, no matter how much it was whipped, and no matter how much it was mocked and made fun of, and no matter how much pain and misery that the world tried to put the true love of Christ through, we see that the Lord Jesus was triumphant. And there in verse 16, the Bible says, They delivered him to be crucified. This 650-yard journey to the cross. In verse 17, the Bible says, He bare his cross. He went forth to the place of his skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And there they crucified him and two others with him on either side, uh, one and Jesus in the midst. And of course, as we look at the Lord Jesus there on on Calvary, and we see the the Lord Jesus there in the middle and the one thief on one side and the one on the other, we see the great picture that Jesus is showing us that that he is the one that that is the bridge between life and death, that he is the bridge between hell and heaven itself. We understand as we read through the scriptures that one one of the thieves on the cross said he got saved. And we see that the other one, of course, that he died, he didn't get saved. And he died and he lifted up his eyes in hell. He didn't get saved, but the other thief on the cross did. But the Lord Jesus, even there on the cross, showing the whole world his love, showing the whole world that he is the truth, showing the whole world that he is the way. And as he is showing the whole world that he is the bridge between life and death, that he is the bridge Uh, between heaven and hell itself. And so here we see love that is being sacrificed. We see love that is being sacrificed. Jesus, the Son of God, given the ultimate sacrifice for humanity because there was not another one that could stand in his place. Uh, as As much as I know you like to think of me as your pastor, your preacher in no way, shape, or form could have took the place. And you couldn't have taken Jesus' place. You know why? Because the Bible says we're all sinners. And because we're all sinners, the Bible says that none have, uh, none, uh, have, uh, uh, none have uh, gone in the ways of the Lord. We've all fallen short. We, 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 we've all gone astray. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. And so the Bible shows us here in verse 18 that Jesus gave himself to be crucified and love was sacrificed. When we think about what the crucifixion is and you think about the whole process as they take the Lord Jesus over there and they uh, nail him to that cross. And oftentimes and what they did was, was they, 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 they put that block down there at the feet and they would put it up just, they would put it up just enough so that whoever was there on the cross, it would give them just enough leverage to be able to go up and down so that they can breathe. But they would extend their arms and extend their hands out to the place, to the point to where they, it made them difficult to get their breath. And they would put those nails right through the hands there. The wrist there was considered part of the hand. And they would put those, they would put those nails right through the hand. And when they put those nails through the hand and he would hang there on that cross, those nails would drive straight through those nerves. It was said by, said by many doctors who have analyzed and seen what the, what the crucifixion was all about and the pain and torment that Christ went through that it was just completely unbearable. Did you know 
that there was an actual word that came up to dis, that they that they used to describe the uh, the pain of the cross. There, it was said that, that that the pain of the cross was so unbearable that they that they they really didn't have a, a word to describe how bad it was, and, and, and so they came up with a new word. You know what that new word was? That new word was excruciating, which comes from the cross, means out of the cross. And so that word excruciating was a word that was brought to life to describe what the cross was all about, how painful that it was, that it was excruciating. And many folks who have looked at it, doctors and other uh, notable people who have know a lot about anatomy have analyzed it and saw the, what the Lord Jesus went through and can see very clearly that this form of death is one of the worst forms of death that a man can imagine. That the pain was so terrible and the pain was so awful. And, uh, but, but the Lord chose to do it. He chose to do it for you. He chose to do it for me. And, and, and in my humble opinion, I firmly believe that, 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 that I think that this is one of the greatest examples of love that we can see. <coughs> and there in verse 18, the Bible says where they crucified him, two others with him on either side, the one and Jesus in the midst. And so we see that love was sacrificed. And as the Lord Jesus, was, his arms was spread out and nailed to the cross, and as his feet were uh, propped up just enough to give him leverage, and his feet were nailed to the cross, and as he was fastened in place, blood pouring out of his body, the crown of thorns placed on his head that were sinking into his scalp and into his brow, love was being sacrificed. A true example of what love is being rejected by the whole world. There in verse 19, the Bible says, And Pilate had, Pilate had wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And the reason why they put this writing, one of the things that we see, we talked about this morning, was that everybody did everything they could to see what Jesus was guilty of. They did everything they could, Pilate did and Herod did and the Pharisees did. Everybody did everything they could to examine Christ to find out what he was guilty of, why he should go to the cross. And nobody could find anything. And everybody said so. We found no fault in him. They, 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 uh, Herod sent Pilate, sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. The, the Pharisees examined him. Nobody can find anything wrong with him. And he was guilty of one thing and one thing only. Declaring himself to be the king. Declaring himself to be the son of God. Declaring himself to be the king of kings. And that's what he was guilty of. And when, with the, and when, they, uh, when the person was on his way to the cross, as they carried their cross up to Calvary, up to Golgotha's hill, they would have someone march in front of the cross that, would, uh, that was almost like the, uh, as this parade of people came behind them and the one that was guilty who was on their way up to, uh, up to Golgotha's hill was bearing their cross. There was one that walked in front of them that held up a pole and on that pole there would be an inscription of what they were guilty of, almost like the leader of the parade. And this inscription is what it was. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's what he was guilty of. He was guilty of being a king. 
And the world couldn't accept it and the priest couldn't accept it and, and nobody could accept it. And so, and so Jesus was guilty of being a king. Well, he'll always be guilty of being a king because he's the king of kings. The Bible shows us there in verse 19 that that's what Pilate put, but there in verse 20 we see that we see that the Jews, they came and when they saw it, they sat there in verse 20, uh, where the place where, where, where Jesus was crucified, now the city was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin for everybody to see. And in verse 21, the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, they said, he come to him and he said, write not king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. The religious crowd just could not accept the fact of who Jesus is. There was true love right there shown in every language that everybody was, that was predominant at that time. The Greek and the Latin and the Hebrew. It was all written what, the, what, what Jesus was guilty of and it was put across uh, the top of his cross to show everybody in every language who Jesus was so that everybody could see. And it was still rejected and turned away from. And it was written in every language, the predominant languages. I think um, uh, we see there in verse 21, the Bible says the chief priests of the, uh, the, then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. They just couldn't stand it. There in verse 22, Pilate answered, he said, what, have I, what I have written, I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they made four parts, every soldier apart. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. And there in verse 23, we see the Lord Jesus, he is stripped of his clothes. And as he is stripped of his clothes, the soldiers there at the bottom of the cross begin to gamble for the garments. They, be, they, they, they begin to rip the, his clothes uh, into pieces as the Lord Jesus on the cross humiliated in front of everybody. And, 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 there, and there all these soldiers there at the bottom of the cross begin to gamble for his clothes. Except for one part. Except for his coat. Except for the tunic, his garment. The Bible shows us there in verse 23... Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said there in verse 24, they said therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. When, they, when, it, come to the, when it come to the garment, when it come to the coat of the Lord Jesus, they said let's don't tear that up, let's don't mess that up, but, but let's gamble for that and see who wins. You say, well what was so important about this tunic? What's so important about this, about this jacket? What's so important about this, about, this, uh, about this coat that the Lord Jesus wore? Well, what's interesting is that the Bible shows us here that this garment was a garment that was, uh, that was sewn and, it was, uh, and that it was woven from the top to the bottom. There in verse 23, the Bible says it was, it was without seam woven from the top throughout. This garment didn't have, most garments generally had two sections to it. But this garment that he wore was all, all complete. And with this garment, this type of garment, we see that the priest actually wore in the Old Testament. The priest actually wore this garment in the Old Testament, a type of this garment. And, and, and what do we see that Jesus represents to us? Well, he is our king, he is our priest, right? He's also he's our sacrifice, he's our king, he's our priest, he's all these things. And the priest 
had to wear this garment when he made a sacrifice. And now what was the Lord Jesus? He was wearing the garment, a priestly garment in essence, and he was the sacrifice. That's what he was. And he was demonstrating who he was to all these people, not just there on the cross, but he was demonstrating to everybody and even, even what he was wearing. In this garment that he wore, he was demonstrating to everybody, even to especially to this religious crowd, who whenever they saw it should recognize and see exactly what the Lord Jesus is trying to say, who he identified himself as. That he identified himself as a priest, because he is our priest, he's our high priest, but that he also is our sacrifice. This garment we see, this seamless garment, represents a continuation because the Lord Jesus is eternal. It is without seeing. The Lord Jesus uh, is eternal. It is a priestly garment, a place. It is a, a, a garment of service. The Bible shows us there in verse 24 that they said among themselves, let us not rent it but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. And of course, as the Lord Jesus was there and he was dying on the cross and uh, there he was having to push himself up and down constantly throughout the day, as they uh, uh, crucify him at 9 o'clock and then at 12 the Bible says that the whole world goes dark and for three hours... And there they are in darkness. And all through this time, the Lord Jesus is constantly lifting himself up and down and up and down, sliding up and down this cross and doing everything he can to get every breath that's possible because his body is going through such excruciating pain. The Bible shows us there in verse 25, that there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister and Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, he said to the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. In verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. You say, well, why is that really so significant? I mean, even when you get to the next verse, it says, now there sat a vessel full of vinegar, vinegar having the idea of sour wine. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it into his mouth. You remember when you go all the way back to the Last Supper, when you go back to the Last Supper and the Lord Jesus, he's up there with his disciples and and uh, Judas Iscariot is there. You remember about halfway through the meal that Judas Iscariot decided he needed to leave. Y'all remember that, reading through that? Judas Iscariot decided that he needed to leave because he had to go meet up with all these people that were going to take down the Lord Jesus. And so he leaves halfway through the meal and, and as they're going through the Last Supper and as they're celebrating, beginning to celebrate this Passover, one of the things that we see is when you look into 
the book of Exodus and you understand and begin to look at what the Last Supper is all about and how they partook it and what they did. You see in Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 6 and verses 6 and 7, you don't necessarily have to turn there right now. If you want to, that's fine. You don't necessarily have to, but you can definitely jot it down. You can see that as they celebrated the Last Supper, they would take four cups, they would take four drinks of this wine, grape juice there. And each time they took a sip, each time they took a drink of it, it symbolized something different. Now we see that Judas Iscariot was there for half of it. We see that uh, the very first one symbolizes whenever the Lord Jesus, whenever the Bible says, uh, I'll bring you out. God, God said, I'll bring you out of the world. I'll bring you out of Egypt. They celebrated that and they took a drink. The second one was when he said, I will rescue you. They took a drink. But I find it interesting that after that, Judas Iscariot left. Because the third one is, I will redeem you. Isn't that interesting? The third one that Judas missed out on, that the other, three, that the other disciples partook, was the cup when the Lord Jesus said, I will redeem you. All the way back in the book of Exodus has a celebrated this moment of coming out of Egypt. And of course we understand as this course has been said that Judas kissed the door of heaven and went to hell. The Bible tells us that Judas went down to his own place. I believe he died a lost man. He was referred to in the scriptures as a son of perdition. But I find it interesting as we put all this together that we see that Judas didn't take part in that, in that last cup. And you know what? After that, they got up and left. They never even partook of the last cup. They never even partook of the last cup. Jesus never finished the meal until this point right here at the cross. And you get right here at verse 28. And the Bible says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Why did he say, I thirst? Because he's fixing to finish it up. What did the Last Supper represent? It represented God saving his people, God redeeming his people, God calling out his people. The Last Cup represented, I'll take you, as my people. I will take you as my people. And when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? Showing the whole world, I'm giving myself. I'm dying to take you as my people. And he didn't partake of that last drink until he was here on the cross. And the Bible shows us there in verse 28 that after, all, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, there was only one thing left for the Lord Jesus to do to finish the Last Supper, to partake of the last drink, to finish the meal. And that was to say that I thirst. In verse 29, the Bible says, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up the ghost. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. 
I think what we see here is the perfect illustration of what real love is. A perfect illustration how we see that love is sacrificial. How we see that as we look in even uh, the love chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians, how we see that love can bear all things. We see how victorious love can be, even if it's been beaten, even if it's been mocked, even if it's been whipped, and even if it's been rejected, and even if people don't even understand necessarily who Jesus is or why they're doing what they're doing, when people don't necessarily understand what exactly is going on. We see the Lord Jesus still shows himself to be the sacrifice. What a perfect example of what love is. That no matter what came his way, no matter what was said about him, no matter how he was humiliated, and you think about the things that Jesus uttered from the cross as he was humiliated there in front of everyone and was stripped down to nothing and hanging there on the cross and bleeding out of every part of his body. And folks laughing and carry on and looking at him and making fun of him and mocking him. And, and Jesus looking at him saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus praying for them. And Jesus looking over to the man, uh, Jesus looking over to the man on his right as the man is there and he is, and he is talking with the Lord and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I mean, even the thief on the cross began to argue with the other thief that was over there and said, we deserve what we're getting, but this man's done nothing wrong. Even the thief on the cross recognized that Jesus was innocent in everything that he did. You know, I just find it so amazing. It just puts chills on me. I find it so amazing that everybody from the cross to the, the, uh, even the priest examined, uh, that everybody could see that Jesus was not guilty of any sin. And yet he was still killed anyway. And what did he say as we talked about this morning? He said, I can at this time call legions of angels. But he didn't. And you know why? Because it was his love for us. It's absolute, perfect, agape love that he had for us. And as he partook of that last cup there in verse 30, the Bible said he received that vinegar. The word vinegar there has, uh, in, in the Greek, in that Greek word there, has the idea of a soured wine. You say, why was it sour? Well, look at his death. Look what he was going through. Look at the death, the pain, and the misery that he was in. And he partook of it. And as he partook of it, when he finished the meal, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And I'm sure you've heard it said many times, nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave it up himself. There was no man that can kill God. God gave his own self up. There was no man that can take, take the life of Christ. There is no man that can kill God. He gave it up himself, willingly. Even in the midst of all the pain, the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of everything that he went through, he willingly gave himself for us. 
And so as we think about the perfect example of what love is and we think about uh, all, the, all that the Lord Jesus Christ went through, we can't even begin to fathom and imagine the pain and, and the misery that he suffered there on that cross for those six hours and then everything that he endured from that night even up into the scourging of the morning up till they sacrificed him and slayed him at nine. The Bible shows us over in verse 14. The Bible says it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. When you look at that time frame, it was during this time frame, during this, during this hour, which is when all the priests and all, those, and all those folks were sacrificing the animals to the Lord for their sins. And here we see the Lord Jesus there at the sixth hour, coming right there at the time when the ultimate sac- when, 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 when the payment for sins is to be made and the ultimate sacrifice is made in Christ. And there in verse 30, as we sum it up and we get ready to leave here tonight, we see that the Lord Jesus said it's finished. You know, nobody's ever going to crucify Jesus again. You know, that took place one time and one time only. You know, in order for you to get saved again, Jesus would have to do all this again. And Jesus ain't going to do all that again. He did it one time. I'm so thankful that when I got saved, it was permanent. The Lord Jesus made it that way. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, I believe Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14, one of my favorite verses of the Bible. The Bible says, by one offering, for by one offering he perfected forever them that are sanctified. One of the greatest verses I think we can see on eternal security in the scriptures. By one offering he perfected forever them that are sanctified. Those that have been saved by one offering one time, the Lord Jesus was going to do it one time, offer himself one time, bleed uh, and shed his blood for this world one time. Never to happen again. But that one time is all it took. That's all it took. What a great demonstration of God's love tonight. As we think about, as I said this morning, I know thinking about the crucifixion isn't exactly a Valentine's topic. But I tell you what, what greater example of love can we possibly see? Of sacrifice. A love that never ends. A love that never gives up. A love that never quits. A love that is bound and determined to finish its goal. That's what we need in our world today. A love that is there to forgive. A love that is there ready to accept the challenge of whatever comes its way. A love that is powerful enough to face anything that comes. The Bible says there in verse 30, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What a great example of love tonight as we, as we leave here this evening. I pray that there was something that was said tonight that just stirred up in your heart and just got you to thinking how blessed we are this evening to know that we have a God in heaven that loves us this much. And even in this little short message that I brought, I am by no way, shape, or form, nowhere near even came close to describing the horrors of the crucifixion. But I'm so thankful that he was willing to do it for me. And for you. Let's pray tonight. Father, we 
come to you this evening. We thank you, Lord, for this great love that you demonstrated for your people. Lord, this great love that you showed the whole world. Lord, up there on that cross, a sign that signified who you are, that you are the king. A sign that was written in the language of the people of that day. So that no matter who you were, you could walk by and see who Jesus is. That everyone can walk by and look at the inscription above the cross and see what the Lord Jesus is testifying to the whole world. And I believe that just goes to bear to the witness of the fact that Jesus and the, the Word of God tells us that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because God wants everybody to know who He is. God gives everyone an opportunity to trust Him and accept Him. If you're here tonight and you've never done that, I encourage you to do so. It would be the greatest thing you've ever done in your life. As a piano plays tonight and we get ready to leave, if, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. It could be that you're not sure if you're saved. It could be that you know within your heart that you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Well, I want you to know tonight that Jesus loves you. He went, on, he went through all of these things for you. So that your sins can be forgiven and you can have a home in heaven. And if you don't know who Jesus is, you've never accepted him as your Savior. Nobody's looking but me and God. But would you just slip your hand up so I can see it? Anybody, anywhere? I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. And it could be that as you hear this evening, as you're just going through what Christ, what Christ went through for us on the cross, as we just see what he has done. That it's made an impact in your heart and your life or just brought a, a fresh understanding or a renewed sense of, you know, my Lord loves me this much. You know, the Bible tells us in His Word that we can't even count the number of thoughts that God has towards us in a single day. The Bible tells us that the thoughts that He has towards us are innumerable. And God loves you so much you can't even count the thoughts that he has towards you in a single day. That's how much he cares about you. And God knows your heart. God knows what you need. God knows what you're going through before we even ask. So whatever it is you're talking to God about tonight, whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is you need help with, whatever it is you're battling, whatever you got in front of you, whatever it is you may be dealing with behind you that's trying to get a hold of you, Whatever the devil's trying to bring up, whatever you're facing out in the world, no matter how you feel, the Lord Jesus is prepared tonight to help you in any way. And if it's a matter of salvation, the Lord Jesus is here tonight to reach down from heaven. And I promise you, if you'll reach your hand up, you'll see that His hand is already there. Waiting on you. He said, well, preacher, I'm already saved. Well, that's good. 
But I tell you what, sometimes we just go through life just thinking, you know what, I got this, I can do it, I'm strong enough. The whole time, the Lord's got His hand reached down from heaven trying to help you walk. Just like that song says, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I encourage you as we go through this week, don't try to walk on your own. Lift your hand up. Grab a hold of the hand of the Lord. Let Him walk you. Let Him help you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, thank you for uh, your presence.